0: Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I am your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me today. I appreciate it. You tuned in to a fantastic show. On the show today, we're going to talk about turtles. I like turtles. I'm just kidding. Have you guys seen that YouTube video? That is hilarious. But yes, uh, I really do like turtles. And today we're going to talk about them on the show. I have on Christian Capobianco. He is currently the president of the Turtle Rescue Team, actually founded in 1996, part of North Carolina State's University of Veterinary Medicine. So he's on the show today. We talk all about turtles and focus kind of on their rescue efforts. And it's a very insightful episode for those of you wondering what to do if you encounter a turtle crossing the road. What if you accidentally hit a turtle? Are there any home remedies you could use to help fix a shell? We go into all of this and more. Christian also goes into some very innovative ways of items they use to actually help turtles in the rescue. You will be shocked to learn what they use bra hooks for. That's right? I said bra hooks and what they also use toilet bowl plungers for. They use these all the time in the rescue. You're never going to guess it. So make sure you listen to the full interview for that. As always, I do encourage you to check out the after show. The after show is available. If you join us on patreon.com animals to the max, it's a way for you to get the whole after show. I want to say hello to our new Patreon member, April. April, thank you so much. April gets access to bonus content. And in the after show, Christian talks about what it's like going through vet school. You know, I really wanted to get the nitty-gritty. Like I love when people, you know, are like, oh, vet school's great and this is amazing. It's a dream, you know, career and this and that. But honestly what is it like going through vet school it is hard and christian actually gives me the details and i really enjoy that so if you are interested to learn more the behind the scenes the real stuff the truth about vet school make sure to join us for the after show. And once again, that's just by joining our Patreon page and that's patreon.com animals to the max. Before we do get to the interview, I do want to make note. I know it sounds very echoey where I am right now and I'm actually recording this podcast actually at my parents' house right now in an empty bedroom. And For those of you who are unaware or uh, maybe you aren't following me on social media, which by the way, I encourage you as always to follow me on social media. My tag is just at Corbin Maxi. We made a huge announcement and that was that the animals and I are moving. We have moved to a brand new property here in Idaho. And honestly, it's been probably one of the biggest transitions and changes of my life moving 30 different exotic animal rescues from our current property to our brand new property. Honestly, right now, I'm still waiting to get internet at my house, and so that's why I actually recorded this podcast interview at my parents' house, and that's why I'm recording this intro right now in my parents' uh, bedroom. Well, not their bedroom, but you know what I mean, like in one of their bedrooms. And so anyway, we're kind of in a crazy transition, but I encourage you, if you are interested, to kind of watch the journey to join us over on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Corbin Maxi. I also will post videos on TikTok and Instagram Reels, but it is very Interesting. We literally had movers come and pick up our animal buildings and we had to move all the animals into the alligator house while they were moving the buildings. Yes, that is right. We had to move 30 animals, including giant pythons, snapping turtles, an iguana, a monitor lizard, the tarantulas, everything inside the alligator house with the alligators, mind you. Now, of course, there is a barrier separating them, but it was quite an interesting journey. So if you are interested, I encourage you to check that out. I will include the social links in the podcast notes, but it is quite interesting. And um, thank you once again for your patience. Hopefully this next podcast won't sound so echoey in this room and I will finally get my office and studio up at our new house. But I'm so excited about this and I invite you to uh, kind of experience the change with us. So it's a fun journey. Anyway, let's get to it. Let's talk turtles. Christian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk turtles with you. Yeah, I'm so excited. And so right now, and by the way, your resume, it's so intense. So you're currently the president of the turtle rescue team, correct? Yes. And that is going on at North Carolina State University of Veterinary Medicine. So you're in vet school. That's correct. Yeah, I'm in my
1: third year of the veterinary curriculum here.
0: Wow. And how do you manage all of that and, you know, I guess become a president of the turtle rescue team?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a lot to juggle. Um, but I think that for me, it's just kind of finding that balance between schoolwork and the things that I really love to do. So I am on the zoo and wildlife track. So any opportunity I can get here at the school to do things with non-domestic animals was certainly up my alley and turtle rescue team. I've been doing that since I was an undergrad, actually. And so after four or five years of doing this, I figured, hey, I could probably be president and it's been going pretty well.
0: That is amazing. And this organization actually started in 1996. And since its beginning, you have, I mean, the organization has rescued over 7,000 turtles.
1: Yes, it's pretty insane to think about. But at in the inception, Dr. Lubart kind of started it in 1996 when he first got to the college. And it was started as just a way for not only us to help the native wildlife, but to give our students a chance to practice on kind of exotic, non-traditional species. And since then, we've been growing in our case numbers year by year. And this past year, we broke our record. So we are over 600 turtles that we've helped this year. Sick, pretty insane.
0: Wow. Okay, so Christian, I'm from Idaho, and uh-huh. we we only have one native turtle species, the painted turtle. And you're in North oh, Car- yeah. and so you're in North Carolina. So tell us about the type of turtles that you encounter there.
1: Sure. So we've got a little bit of everything. I would say that the most common turtle that comes into Turtle Rescue Team is the eastern box turtle. But we also see a variety of water turtles, including common snapping turtles, yellow-bellied sliders, painted turtles as well, musk turtles, mud turtles. And then what a lot of people don't know is that the Turtle Rescue Team actually sees any native non-venomous reptile. So we'll see snakes and amphibians as well.
0: Wow. So you have a lot of species of turtles there that you're, that you're rescuing.
1: We sure do. It keeps our life interesting or difficult, depending on how you look at
0: it. (laughs) Yeah. Is it, I mean, is this a 24-7 job being the president?
1: So luckily for me, I split my duties with two other co-presidents that are in my year as well. And so we all kind of split the work and we're on call pretty much 24-7. So if other younger volunteers or students have questions, they can always reach out to us. But then we're also fortunate that we have our advisors who are veterinarians, who are experts in turtle and exotic animal medicine that we can always reach out to as well if problems arise.
0: Wow. Okay. So what is the busiest season for turtle rescue? I'm assuming is it what, would it be springtime? I'm assuming so.
1: It sure is. Spring into summer. So we are just finishing that busy season as it starts to get cold. And now the challenge is we've had all these turtles in re- in rehabilitation, and we now need to get them back out to the wild before it gets too cold for us to release. So that's our challenge right now.
0: Really, okay, so you have, okay, so I mean, what are what are the main rescue cases? Is it when turtles are trying to cross the road and they're hit by vehicles? Is that your main um, rescue? Situation.
1: Yeah, I, I would definitely say that vehicular trauma is one of our number one causes of admission. Uh, we see a lot of trauma cases that aren't vehicles, though, so a lot of predation injuries, either from wild predators or from dogs that accidentally think a turtle's a chew toy. Or even fish hooks and fishing line entanglement, right? So we see a little bit of everything, and then we'll also get some viral cases every now and then, where they have an abscess of their ear or they have an upper respiratory infection, and those are all things that we're capable of treating here.
0: Okay, wow, that is crazy. So in in the it, it, I mean in the springtime, turtles are going to be crossing the road. I mean, is it? I, I can you enlighten me what that's like? Because I've never, I mean, very rare, maybe like once or twice a year, I'll rescue a painted turtle here crossing the road to another pond but I've never lived in a state where I mean you have to watch out because there's so many you know crossing the road.
1: Yeah, they are all over and I mean eastern box turtles are the state reptile of North Carolina so they're a very prolific charismatic turtle here and unfortunately they make up about 50% of our cases um because they get hit by cars so frequently. So the people that are bringing these turtles to us are just regular members of the community. They're our finders. And if they're driving along and they see a turtle on the side of the road or they see one that was a near miss or isn't moving, then they'll go ahead and take a look at that turtle and we will triage them over the phone. So we'll ask them several questions, see if that turtle needs our assistance. And if so, it comes in to see us.
0: Are there any precautions in North Carolina that that people should take when it's, I mean, do you call it turtle season? <laughs>
1: Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, one of the biggest ones, obviously, if you see a turtle crossing the road or you see a turtle that's been hit by a car, we love that everyone out there loves animals and wants to protect those turtles and help them. However, you also have to think about your safety too. So if you're in a safe position to pull over and maybe help that turtle, then absolutely do it, but always assess and make sure that it's a safe thing to do. The turtle's crossing the road, you can certainly help them cross the road in the direction they were traveling if you're able to do that. But again, just make sure it's safe for you guys.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm happy you mentioned that. Um, I rescued a painted turtle, I think it was a few years ago. It was going towards this busy 78 where there were no ponds and I helped it. Um, go back into a pond in the opposite direction. I got so much flack from, I think her name was Karen. Like, you need to release it. And I I know, I didn't even have time for this lady. I was like, you know what? I made the right judgment. Like, I'm not, there was nowhere for this turtle to go if you would have seen the whole situation. But you did bring up a really good point, though. The majority of the times you need to, if a turtle's crossing the road, you need to just help it cross in the direction it's going. Is that Correct.
1: Right. Yeah, that's typically how it goes. Of course, there are always going to be situations where the turtle starts to cross and is like, ah, danger, and turns around real quick and tries to cross the other way. Sure. So in that situation, maybe it wasn't facing the direction that it wanted to go, but the vast majority of the time, if you're able to help it the way they're facing, that's where they're going to want to go.
0: Okay. So help them cross in that direction. Correct. Okay. Do they have signs on the roads in North Carolina?
1: They don't. I know they do have some wildlife crossing signs and deer crossing, but they do not have turtle crossing signs. Um, I wish they would, but it would be hard to kind of pinpoint where the turtles are most likely to cross. Cause when you think about it, right, Corbin, it's kind of either trying to find a mate or trying to find a place to nest. So these guys typically have a home range of a couple miles, the box turtles. And so they're really only gonna travel a mile or two in their entire lifetime. So being able to find exactly where those intersections are with the road is going to be fairly difficult to put up the signs.
0: Can you give me a visual of how many turtles are crossing? Like how many have you seen in like one instance? I'm just trying to like in my mind.
1: Yeah, it's definitely not like bug season where there's bugs hitting the field, right? I guess that's
0: that's just what I'm thinking. Like all these turtles are like all these little Big Mac sized turtles are like crossing the road. It is definitely not that bad. Um,
1: I would say that when I'm driving around busy season, I'll see one or two during a maybe half hour drive um, that are trying to cross. So it definitely is. There are a lot and there is room for people to keep their eyes peeled and make sure that they don't hit them. I always encourage people to do the speed limit if possible and drive a little bit slower if you're in kind of residential neighborhoods where turtles really do like to hang out. Um, So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank God that the majority of people, I would say, really like turtles.
1: Yes. Turtles are, I would say they're one of the most charismatic animals in North Carolina. And they're one that people just really fall in love with. They're really lovable. They're really tiny. And they're something that you can see in your own backyard. And I think that's what really sparks a great conversation about conservation of wild species near you, because this is something that's tangible that they can see when they go on a hike. And so if they see this animal and they like the way it looks and they think it's cute, then they're more likely to protect it. Definitely not as
0: charismatic as a
1: panda, but... It's a step in the right direction.
0: Well, I was thinking it's better than a snake because I always, uh, up and down the roads here in Idaho, try to take snakes off the road. And you'll see people who purposely try to hit them on the road. I remember I was like listening. I was in some conference and they did a study where they put like a rubber snake out in the road to see how many people would stop or hit it. And they found a lot of people purposely would just try to run over them. And it just was broke my heart. It was like, Oh my God. Yeah
1: and they've done similar studies in turtles and i can't i can't remember the exact number don't quote me on this but i think it was something like 7% of people will go out of their way to hit a turtle which to me is like why
0: <laughs> out of all the animals like turtles are the ones that we got to go for 7% oh yeah my god it's sad. oh it's horrible yeah i would just say be careful and i so my dad's from missouri and i remember mm-hmm. as a kid we'd always go to missouri and We would just go there and collect them off the road and I just always had so much fun and of course we take them back to the house and play with them probably stuff you should not do but anyway this was like 25 (laughs) years ago but I used to love going back there because there's something about seeing a little box turtle in the wild that's just I don't know it's something so interesting something I never encountered here in Idaho.
1: Yeah, it's definitely special. And I think that's something that's so important for our finders is that they have a connection with the turtle that they bring to us. And so whether they've had it for 10 minutes or a couple hours or a day or so, you know, they are connected with that case. And so we like to keep our finders updated as the case progresses, and we'll call them with updates. And ultimately, if that turtle is able to be released back to the wild, we will have the finders participate in that release a number of times. And it's a really great way to get people involved and get people talking about the things they can
0: be doing, very easy things in their own
1: backyard to help turtles.
0: Now, do you have to release the turtles in the same vicinity of when where they were rescued? Yes, we do. So with
1: our box turtles, like I said, they only have a couple miles of home range. So if you put oh. them outside of that area, they get very, very confused um, and they'll get stressed out. And when you're stressed, your immune system takes a nosedive and that's more likely for them to get sick and pass away. Uh, for water turtles it tends to be a little bit larger so we're not as strict Um, however when we get our turtles in we always have a very specific address or pinpoint location where they were found so we can get them as close as possible to where they were found
0: but that makes me so nervous that they were hit on the road. I would hate to be like, we spent all, right. these, all these months rehabilitating you. Now, here you go. Enjoy Highway 78 again. What? Christian, come on. Yes. You have to move them a little further away, right?
1: We do, yes. So we are going to do it within reason, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. if they were found on a highway, we're not going to say, yep, they were found right on this yellow line at the middle. We're going to plop <laughs> them right there. <laughs> oh my um, God. We're going to find, like, the closest water source or an area that looks like a good habitat for a box turtle that's in that general vicinity and we'll put them there um, and from there it's kind of up to them how that what their survivability is like but we like to try and get them away from danger as much as humanly possible.
0: Okay, what is an optimal habitat for a box turtle?
1: So they are not swimming turtles um, so even though they're called turtles they're not like your typical aquatic turtles they're going to be terrestrial but they do like to soak. So we like to have them in areas where they have a small lake or a pond or somewhere that they can just kind of like dip their butt in and get rehydrated. Um, But really anywhere where they can dig in the ground, find shelter, uh, find good sources of food. So they like to eat insects like worms. They'll also eat a variety of different fruits and vegetables and grasses and leaves. So any of those areas are fine. I tell people like a typical hiking trail is a perfect perfect habitat for a box turtle.
0: Yeah. And I would say they probably would be good to have in the gardens, eating the earthworms and the slugs and the little pests, wouldn't you think?
1: Yeah. People love to keep box turtles in their gardens and at home in their backyards, which I'm not opposed to. It's actually um, in North Carolina, you can have, I believe, four or five native turtles in your backyard as long as they're not protected and like have them be your pets. We don't advise that because obviously the conditions in your backyard and husbandry of these animals is a bit more complex than people think it is. And so if you're able to just let them live out their life in the wild, maybe better. Um, of course, if you have an education and a background in exotic animal husbandry, then for sure you can do that. But yeah, they're, they're a great species. They're a lot of fun to house and they have fantastic personalities. And, I don't, and everyone always says turtles don't have personalities. That's not real. That is a lie reptiles definitely have personality
0: <laughs> oh they do, oh my god they they really do i have I have uh two box turtles two uh three toe mm-hmm. box turtles in Herman and Missouri, and they both have oh. personalities and you know what's crazy people don't understand this like you can train them mm mm-hmm. like he they like, are
1: very very smart
0: they are like herman and Missouri will pop up they know when i'm coming to I was gonna say when daddy's coming that doesn't sound good but they they know they know when I walk in and their little eyes pop up and they know like oh I'm gonna get fed a a cricket or a mealworm or something or a superworm they are so into it
1: exactly that's how ours are and ours also know when we're going to take them to get like imaging because we are lucky here at NC State that we have the radiology department just across the hallway so Mm -hmm. if we ever need to take them for x-rays or radiographs or need to go get blood work from them they know when it's like a quote unquote good visit from christian and when it's a not so good visit from christian <laughs> so really? they're very very intelligent yeah
0: wow what would you rate their intelligence scale
1: oh my goodness i would say they're probably not as intelligent as like people and chimpanzees and that sort of thing but they're they're able to learn tricks i would say Maybe a little bit less than a dog, but they're they're definitely able to learn certain behaviors, certain patterns, and be able to respond to those patterns,
0: yeah, um, you mentioned something a few minutes ago. you said that to take care of them it's maybe not as easy as people think. Can you expand into that because when I was a kid, box turtles you'd always see them in the pet stores, they were like the throwaway pets and I have since come to learn that back in the day when I was a kid, a lot, actually all those individuals were wild caught and, Mm -hmm. um, but they were like cheap. Dude, I remember that it would be like, they just have, would have a tank full of box turtles and 20, 30 bucks, you get a turtle. And I have seen the tides change in my lifetime. Thank God. Um, but yeah, let's go into that. They're not as easy as people think.
1: Sure. They definitely are not. And I mean, when we see pet turtles at the Exotic Animal Service here at NC State or at other hospitals, pretty much all of the issues that they present with are husbandry related. So if you know how to take care of these turtles, then you're going to do a fantastic job. But if you're not feeding them the appropriate diet, they're not getting appropriate lighting or time outside or you know any of those things, then they are going to manifest that clinically with a disease. And so that is what we see in the hospital. And that's why 99.9% of the time with exotic species, husbandry is going to cause some issues. So obviously there's genetics that could cause disease, but it's primarily going to be just whether or not we know how to take care of them appropriately.
0: Mm -hmm. And what would be the the best diet for them, best habitat? If someone's listening, who's like, oh, maybe I want to keep a box turtle.
1: Sure. I think it's really important to give them a variety of foods and change their food sources on somewhat of a daily basis. So maybe do protein one day and then alternate that with fruits and veggies the next, and then keep switching. And so you can do like mealworms or earthworms, and then you can cut up, I don't know, carrots or apples one day, you know, just give them a little salad give them a choice. Um, Obviously don't put any dressing on there. That's not good for them, (laughs) but you can go ahead and mix your own little garden veggie salad and they'll enjoy that. And habitat wise, I mean, in Turtle Rescue Team, unfortunately, because we have so many turtles in the hospital, we don't have the ability to keep them in kind of outdoor pens. So what we'll do is we'll keep them in kind of smaller enclosures inside, but we offer them opportunities to sun every day. And that's really, really important. So if you're able to have both an indoor and an outdoor enclosure that's secure for the turtle, where they can go outside and not be predated on by, I don't know, hawks, birds of prey, raccoons, coyotes, anything like that. That's really what we're looking for. They're not the hardest in regards to like personality to be able to like potty train them and stuff. That's not really a thing, um, but it's more so making sure they have the appropriate environment and diet.
0: Yeah, and I would say getting them outside is so crucial. So I have built, its I, they're, they're four by fours basically, and they're just wooden boxes. Mm-hmm. And then we have a big screen lid on top and a screen yeah. underneath just because we're out here in the country in Idaho. And so we have raccoons and foxes. And I have had friends who have had their favorite turtles eaten by raccoons. And honestly, it would just be a horrific way to go for a turtle because they, they eat a limb. I mean, eat limb by limb. It's just, and some are still alive when you, it's just a horrific yep. thing. Yeah,
1: it is. And we see that from time to time here. And those are the cases where, you get them in and you're like, okay, what's our quality of life here? Because that's always our first question is, first of all, what is the prognosis? Is it going to be an excellent prognosis where it's going to heal and we know that it's going to heal 200%? Or is it guarded where we're like it could be 50 50 who knows and then we want to address pain and make sure that it's not going to be living here in pain um, when we have the opportunity and the gift to humanely euthanize any turtles um, and give them a kind of painless and peaceful passing
0: yeah and we should say that reptiles and amphibians they do feel pain and just because they don't express mm-hmm. it like a primate like us they can still feel pain and their shells are so sensitive can we go into right. that in a little
1: bit yeah yeah so their shells are covered with keratin but they're made of bone right and they are vascularized they have nervous tissue in there so when we have a hip by car injury where the shell barrier has been breached um that is a big problem and they're very painful and they certainly like you said corbin don't show pain like primates do they're prey animals right so the first sign of pain they're gonna be kind of like up oh, they're easy target for a predator." So they like to hide in their shell, they'll box up really easily, they'll hiss at you. And those are all signs that we're kind of like, oh, they're not feeling good and we'll get some pain control on board right away.
0: So what about if someone, I've had so many people reach out to me throughout the years and say, oh, I, I hit a turtle, mm-hmm. are there home remedies? Because you can go online and there are guides to how to fix a turtle shell. You can literally find them online. On Google, you can find anything really.
1: Right. Yeah. So I would say, yes, there are remedies to do everything at home that you can think of, but are they necessarily the best thing for that animal and the right way to go about it? Not always. And everyone always has good intentions, right? So I want to thank everyone who's out there rescuing turtles. But when you have an injury such as a hit by car, where there is a breach of the shell and sometimes even a breach of the sea or their abdominal cavity, they really need medication medications on board too. So just kind of putting those pieces back together isn't going to cut it. They need appropriate pain medications and appropriate antibiotics to ensure they don't get a severe infection and to ensure they're not painful. Because it's nice to put the pieces back together like a puzzle, but if the turtle's in pain the whole time, that's really not the best thing for them.
0: What do you use to put the shell back together?
1: Yeah, so at Turtle Rescue Team, we actually sort of pioneered this way of doing it, but we use clothing hooks, like bra hooks, um, in order to put it together. so A bra like a giant hook? Jigsaw. Yeah, it's pretty cool. If really I went to my wife
0: and was like, I need to use your bras for a turtle, she'd be like, what? Wait, wait, what?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. So we kind of take the pieces of the shell, right? We have the turtle sedated or anesthetized with appropriate pain medication on board. And then we will glue these bra hooks to the edges of the shell Let them sit for a little bit, let them dry, and then we'll use a wire and we'll put the wire between two bra hooks and kind of bring the shell together just like that. And so it's a giant jigsaw puzzle and it honestly, 99% of the time works out really beautifully.
0: Really? And you're able to remove the bra hooks, obviously, once the, the shell heals?
1: We sure are, yeah. So we're able to just kind of twist them off with some hemostats and they are good to go.
0: So you use the bra hooks, and did you say you use glue?
1: We use glue on the bra hooks to keep them on there. Super... Um, and we found that actually, yeah, using super glue works really, really well. Um, you just got to make sure you don't get it into the body cavities. So mm. a lot of the time we'll put some, like, sterile lube in that area so that any of our materials don't drop in. And then you can actually use, like, baking soda we found on the super glue. It hardens it really, really quickly.
0: Really? it,
1: makes it really sturdy.
0: Okay, but mm-hmm. people listening, if you do find a turtle, uh, do not go and get a bra and try this. Uh, please make sure to yeah. con- contact a, a wildlife professional.
1: Yeah, it's definitely an interesting way of doing it, and it's fun for us. And if you're interested in learning how we do it, we can certainly put a video out there for you guys documenting the process. But like I said, it definitely needs to be done under the right conditions where it's anesthetized, has antibiotics and pain meds on board, which are things that you will not find in your house.
0: Yes. I'll tell you what, Christian, you should put a video together with the bra hooks. That could go viral. I'm serious. Like I'm telling you what people would be. So did you know you could do this with your bra? I'm serious. People would be all over it on TikTok and YouTube shorts and Instagram.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is pretty crazy, you know. I'll have to get our social media coordinator on that for sure. We we pioneer new treatments here all the time. We see things every day that we've never seen before. Even our veterinarians that have been doing this for 20 and 30 years, they're like, we've never seen that before. That's really cool. Let's write up a case study about it. So mm-hmm. we do a lot of really groundbreaking research at Turtle Team as well, which is a lot
0: of fun. That is so cool. How? Um, let's just talk about turtles how resilient are turtles how many of them that that come into the to the uh to the turtle rescue team make it and we're able to reintroduce them back into the wild
1: that is a fantastic question so we did a study i want to say eight years ago now um that looked at kind of a retrospective of all of our different cases and we found that a turtle that just walks up right now or a finder gives us a turtle, right? Um, If that turtle presented, it would have a 50-50 shot of being released. So that's honestly, in a wildlife rehab sense, not bad at all. And if that turtle survives the first 24 hours, that chance increases to about 66%. So pretty okay odds for these turtles that are coming in by us. And they are very, very resilient. They're like little tanks.
0: Yeah, I talked to a lady. Many, I think her name was Josie from the uh, the uh, Pittsburgh Zoo and PPG Aquarium. They have a sea turtle rescue mm-hmm. team, and she was telling me that she has seen sea turtles on the verge of death, and she has seen them yeah. just completely come back to life over time, and it just and then they've been able to release them back into the ocean, and it's just so fascinating. Yeah.
1: It's amazing. and it, But it also is one of those things where because they hide their signs of pain and injury so well, there are some that you're like, this turtle is never going to make it, but I will give it a shot, right? We'll always give the turtle a couple of days to see how it does. And then there are turtles that present and you're like, oh, this turtle's fine. It's just got an abscess on its ear. And then the next day you find it deceased when you come in in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a two-way street there. Um, And that makes our job really, really difficult because we do get attached to these cases, even though they are wildlife patients, because our students are the ones that are the case managers and they're the ones really doing all the procedures, providing treatment plans. And so they become their own
0: patients. So is your home full of turtles that could not be released
1: It is not, thankfully. I have. When I started the presidency, I, I made a little promise to myself that I wasn't going to take home all the non-releasable turtles. But I do take several home that are mine that um, need to be rehabilitated. For instance, if we need to have them in rehab over winter and we can't release them because it's too cold, I'll take some of those guys home and then release them once it gets warmer out.
0: So what happens to the ones who aren't released? Do you team up with the local herpet- herpetological society? or a a local rehabilitation center?
1: Yeah, so there are several different things we can do with these turtles. I mean, if there is a herpetological society or a zoological facility that for some reason needs Eastern box turtles um, and wants to take one of ours, we'll certainly do that. We've done it before with diamondback terrapins that are presented to us, Um, but we do closely work with our um, kind of community rehabbers. So our people, but we have trained on how to rehabilitate these animals. And a lot of them have space in their backyard and will take and keep our non-releasable turtles as pets. Thankfully, there aren't very many of those um, because if they're non-releasable, their injuries are typically pretty severe to the point where their quality of life is diminished and we end up electing humane euthanasia. But if we do have any, they go to them.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah, I was gonna say, have you seen like a really bad case and a turtle just completely turn around? and be like, thank goodness we we didn't use euthanasia.
1: Yeah, so one case that sticks out in my mind that NC State has written several articles on is a turtle named Funfetti. So every year we have a different naming theme uh, for our animals, and that year it was kind of fun food names. And so Funfetti was a snapping turtle who presented with a hip car injury to the caudal aspect of his carapace or his top shell. And that injury stretched right across midline, which is always very scary for us, because as you probably know, the spinal cord lives right there, right? Mm -hmm. So that injury was not looking good, and he didn't have reflexes in the back. And and we were very concerned about whether or not we were going to be able to rehabilitate and release him. But at the time, we had a turtle rescue team intern, Dr. Ashley Kirby. And along with Dr. Lou Bart, she decided, you know what, we're going to try it. We're going to do acupuncture. We're going to do electrostim. We're going to do re- uh, rehab on the lawn with him and kind of put him through range of motion several times a day. And this turtle, miraculously, was actually able to start moving his back legs again and walked right on out into the lake when we released him. And he's, as far as I know, doing really, really well out there. So that's a very interesting case where we actually found that that turtle may have been able to regenerate some of his spinal cord. It's pretty cool.
0: Really? Mm -hmm. that is fascinating that is really fascinating now christian please tell me you released him did you release him in like a protected pond or like i am so nervous with people from the south i'm sorry because people Uh make turtle soup and i'm just like oh my god like i just had swamp people in my mind i'm hoping yeah he's in a protected area
1: he is actually i believe in a pond that one of our finders has a house kind of like right there and so it's her pond
0: Oh, so they is living
1: back there with her, and I believe she sees him every now and then. So he's doing well.
0: <laughs> Thank God. And is, is turtle soup a big thing back there? I know this is like so morbid to talk about on a turtle rescue thing, but is it is yeah. prolific as uh I think it is in Idaho?
1: You know, I don't see it often. We've heard of it being a thing. And so that's something we have to take into account when we're treating these turtles. We can't use any drugs that cannot be consumed by humans. So we have turtles on antibiotics, right? We have to wait several months until it clears from the system in order to release that turtle just in case someone got the urge to eat it, right? So that's something we have to keep in the back of our minds. But I have not heard of it happening here, nor have I seen it.
0: Oh my God, I didn't even think you'd have to worry about that.
1: Yep, they're technically considered a food animal um, in North Carolina because people do eat them. So there are restrictions with the drugs we can use.
0: Now that's not with the box turtles, that's with the snapping turtles, right?
1: I believe it's considered all turtles. Um, because I mean, I guess if you wanted to, you could eat a box turtle too. Um, what? but yeah, primarily snapping turtles are the ones that become the turtle soup, but we have to watch our antibiotic use with everyone.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, I always tell people during my shows, cause I have a big alligator snapping turtle named happy. And I always tell, um, I, I don't even care if I offend the turtle soup people. I'm like, say no to turtle soup. It's not sustainable. I'm like all, I'm anti turtle soup over here. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Well, snapping
1: turtles are some of my favorite patients. They've got, I think, the most personality out of everyone. Oh, God, yeah. And they are just so much fun to work with because people come in and they're, we have guests at Turtle Team all the time that are just like, how do you work with a snapping turtle? It'll bite you. And it's just about knowing how to handle them and how to work around exotic animals, right? if you do it the right way, everyone's going to be safe and fine.
0: So let's talk about how do you properly handle a snapping turtle, Christian, if you see one crossing, if you see one crossing the road.
1: Yeah, so their bitey end is the bad part, right? So anything kind of in the front end you want to avoid. I always tell people that snapping turtles have kind of weird long necks that you don't think they're that long, but they definitely are. And so anywhere from kind of half of the top of the shell up, I don't want people touching when they're Mm -hmm. trying to move snapping turtles just for their own safety. You can certainly touch the rear end, um, and they typically have really long alligator looking like tails, so you can easily distinguish the two. And I've had people that have used like brooms and kind of prodded them along. Mm-hmm. I've had people that have lifted them up by the bottom of their shell by their plastron and moved them along, and people have even lifted them up by the top of their shell on the back end and moved them. Definitely okay to do any of those things. I do just recommend that people don't lift up those turtles by their tail um, mm-hmm. because that can definitely cause trauma to the tail. So shell's an easy place to lift for sure. As long yeah. as you're safe
0: with it. Shell. And you have to make sure you have the right species too because, I mean, the alligator snapping turtles, have they don't really have a neck. It's so short. They it uh-huh. can't extend. But the commons, whoo, they can just pop oh, up. Yeah. and Yeah, it, it can scare They'll you. It happens yeah. in a split second.
1: Yeah, and we actually have a snapping turtle muzzle um in the what? Clinic, which is pretty funny yeah it's called a toilet bowl plunger so you can actually <laughs> just flip that right over their head right no. and it's a fantastic way to keep everyone safe that's your little muzzle for a snapper are you serious <laughs> yep we use it all the time and it's a fantastic way to do it
0: you know i and i i currently care for uh, a rescue common snapping turtle named snappy pants he was terrorizing an elderly neighborhood. It was so funny. I have it on, I have the YouTube video. It's so funny, but everyone's like clapping. Like I did some heroic thing anyway. Um, but, uh, and then I have happy an alligator snapping turtle. And I'll tell you what, there's such a difference in personality. Do you see alligator snapping turtles in your rescue that much? You wouldn't at all.
1: We don't No, only common snapping turtles here in North Carolina.
0: Okay. I was going to say though, they have to be found there though. They have to be.
1: I believe they can be found there in North Carolina. I believe it's still within their home range, uh-huh. um, but I don't think that it's anywhere near as common. I know that in my, um, in my kind of years of being here, I've never seen one. So I guess, yeah. I mean, their home range could extend there, but I, I really don't think it extends all the way up to North Carolina I definitely think that it's kind of one of those things where if they got up there, someone brought them there and released them into the wild because as far as I'm aware, they're not technically a native species in North Carolina.
0: They aren't technically native, really. That is so mm-hmm. interesting because you, know, you can find them all the way up to uh, up to Illinois too. It wouldn't shock yeah. me. It wouldn't shock me if they were there though. I mean, it really wouldn't. Yeah. And they're not as... They um, could
1: be for sure.
0: Yeah, they're not as... uh you know, they're not like the males will never really get out on land, only the females to lay eggs. So they're not as um, mm-hmm. active on land, like the common snapping turtles for sure.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't surprise me if they were here, but I do believe that they're not native. I mean, but there are a bunch of non-native turtles that are in North Carolina, right? You think about red-eared sna- uh, sliders. Yeah, They're prolific, um, but they're more of an introduced species
0: yeah yeah oh so fascinating that is so crazy um well i'm so happy to hear that funfetti made it uh which is great can you hit us um you know kind of we're nearing the end of the interview can you hit us with some fun turtle facts like what what are some facts that normally people just would not know like blow my mind blow the listener's mind right now i mean
1: we could talk about turtles breathing from their butts yes that's kind of fun
0: okay yes how do (laughs) turtles breathe through their butts Yeah, so I mean,
1: it's called cloacal respiration, right? (laughs) So it's not typically like breathing. Um, It's kind of how they are going to, quote unquote, breathe during hibernation or brumation for Mm -hmm. turtles. So when the temperature kind of drops down, their body temperature is going to drop as well. And so everything slows down. And so while they're kind of digging underground and their oxygen needs are a little bit lower, they are able to kind of take the oxygen that's in the water that kind of runs over them through their cloaca and respire that way. So because they have so low energy and they're not gonna kind of go up to the surface and breathe or kind of pop out to breathe, they can meet their oxygen requirements that way or they can just switch over to like anaerobic respiration um, and be able to metabolize things without using oxygen.
0: Wow, so that's why you can see like there's footage of turtles swimming in the water underneath ice. hmm Absolutely, able to just breathe through their bottoms.
1: Yeah, it's definitely not as efficient as other types of respiration, right? Using aerobic respiration through their lungs, um, but it is a thing that turtles can do. And speaking of their lungs, they actually have a really interesting um, lung structure. So it's called multicameral lungs. So it's a little bit different. Than our lungs, where it's kind of like just one branching structure. If you think about the trachea, it branches and then branches again and then branches again. And that's how we get all of our little bronchioles that are in the lungs that help us to exchange oxygen. Whereas with turtles, there are several different branches. Um, and so it's not just one. So turtle lungs are very, very interesting. And they actually live kind of right up on the carapace and they're attached to the dorsal aspect of the carapace. So that's one of our biggest concerns when turtles get hit by a car on the front end is that they could have had a rupture of their phylum and therefore could have injury to the lung.
0: Mm-hmm. So if someone's listening, wondering how long a turtle can hold, hold its breath, what would you tell them?
1: That is a good question. I am not entirely sure how long turtles can hold their breath. Um, I know that within our eastern box turtles, we don't keep them underwater long long enough to find out because uh, that wouldn't be good for them. Um, But I don't really know. That's a great question.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, I could imagine if they're underneath the ice, I mean, able to breathe through their bottoms, I mean – Uh, throughout throughout the winter. Right. I mean, right.
1: So thinking of breath kind of like that and the cloacal respiration, certainly they can hold it for a really, really long time, but that is when they're not necessarily breathing in a typical sense, right? That's when their metabolism is so low that they're brumating. Um, I mean, sea turtles can hold their breath for several hours, but I do not know um, how long like our typical water turtles here in North Carolina can do it when they're breathing normally without brumation.
0: You know, what's crazy about our painted turtles here? The hatchlings, only the hatchlings they found can actually freeze solid during the wintertime. What? Have you heard about this? They have antifreeze in no. their blood. I swear to God. It's only the first year they can do it. I swear you have to look into this. I'm looking that up immediately when we're done with this. That's they,
1: amazing. They
0: can freeze solid. And from what I know, um, we, we had a big meeting um the Idaho herpetological society, we had a meeting about this and this was many uh-huh. years ago, but only the hatchlings can freeze solid for some reason, but they have like antifreeze uh-huh. in their blood. They completely freeze solid in the wintertime and you can thaw them out. That's incredible.
1: Yeah. I did not know about that. I am so excited to look up this article when we're done. We did have a couple of hatchlings this year that were actually conjoined at the yolk sac, which was pretty interesting and we oh. had never seen that before. Came out of the same egg and everything, and we had to separate them. Which oh, cool.
0: really? That yeah. is very yeah, fascinating. Yeah, we definitely had
1: reports of conjoined turtles before, but we had never seen them at Turtle Team, um, and had never seen them attached with the yolk sac. Normally, they're kind of like two-headed or both share the same shell, but these guys were completely separate except for their yolk sac.
0: Yeah, so you don't come across two-headed turtles often at all.
1: No. We certainly do not. (laughs) Not at all. And I mean, here at Turtle Rescue Team, if we have a turtle that presents that's a female that has eggs and we find those eggs on exam, we can actually recover them in the event that we needed to euthanize mama turtle for her injuries. So we would uh, go in there, harvest the eggs, and we put them in an incubator and we hatch them out so that even though that turtle wasn't able to make it her legacy kind of lives on and her genetics live on. And it's a great message for our finders too, because a lot of them are really saddened when they learn that we had to euthanize one of them. Um, But to give them that glimmer of hope that yeah, she had eggs in there and they may hatch that's always really fun.
0: Yes. I think that's awesome. And really quick, before we go, Easter box turtles, what is their longevity?
1: So it depends. So Eastern box turtles are, I would say that when we see them in the clinic, it's very, very difficult to age them appropriately. A lot Mm. of people think that you can kind of age them like we do a tree and look at their rings. Um, But that is a little bit, I don't want to say false, but it's just very, very difficult to do because there are several different reasons why rings in turtles occur. It could be due to a time when there was nutritional stress or maybe they were eating a lot or maybe they were sick one year. So the rings are not entirely dependent on the year of age. I would say that they can become over a hundred years old. And we've certainly seen some where I've been like, Ooh, you are definitely an old man turtle, right? You can mm-hmm. see them and they just look like they've been around forever and they've yeah. seen everything in the universe. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, they can live upwards of a hundred.
0: Wow. And leave me uh, one last question for you. People mm-hmm. always ask me this and I'm curious to see your answer. What is the difference between a turtle and a tortoise Christian?
1: Sure. So tortoises are going to typically live on the land. So they're going to be the ones that are not swimming entirely. Turtles are going to be found most likely in or around water. And then terrapins are a little bit different because they live in brackish water. Um, So theirs is going to be kind of not salt, not fresh, but kind of mix of the two. And Corbin, you can totally correct me if I'm wrong
0: no i just it's so hard no that's what i usually tell people and i i but then it's funny because i'll i'll say that turtles mainly live in the water but as i'm holding hermit i'm like but there's exceptions and then i'm like you know this is a box turtle but they're always found usually near a water source and then people are like Oh, okay so and
1: i mean a lot of the time you can look at their shells and that can tell you a difference too so a lot of the tortoises tend to have more of those kind of dome-ish shaped shells and the Turtles, they're kind of flatter and a little bit more aerodynamic as they're going through the water, Um, but that's another way to tell the difference.
0: Yeah, I always tell people their feet too. Tortoises have like elephant round, elephant looking feet, while turtles have more slender, you know, streamlined feet.
1: Yes, and I mean when we try and tell the difference between male and female box turtles, that's actually something we look at. The male box turtles, their hind feet are very clubbish; they look very thick, and the female box turtles look a little bit like they have more dainty feet, and they don't look like. A giant mallet.
0: What about their eyes too?
1: Yeah, so eyes can definitely help. Um, So the males and females have different colors to their irises. Typically, the females tend to be more of like a brownish iris. The males tend to be more red. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you can look at their uh, plastron as well. So the underside of their shell, the males are going to have more of a concave plastron because Mm -hmm. they have to fit on top of the female shell, whereas the females tend to be more Flat in that regard. And I mean, with water turtles too, it's a little bit different, right? The males mm. for several water turtle species have really long fingernails Yeah, really advance for the females, right? Yep, yep, yep. Um, so those are, there are a bunch of different kind of tips and tricks, but I always tell people those tricks don't work a hundred percent of the time. So I normally look at those three things. And if like two out of the three are correct, then my guess is male <laughs> versus female or the other way around. Cause there's, Really no way to tell for sure unless you do unless you see them laying an egg or unless you do an endoscopic sex thing.
0: Okay, very nice. Well, Christian, we are nearing the end of the interview. Will you join me for the after show?
1: Sure, yeah, absolutely.
0: Perfect. God, you hesitated there for a second. I thought no one's ever turned me down for the after show. What's going on? Okay. Uh, no, I would love to. <laughs> let's do it after show. Okay, so before we do that, though, where can listeners follow the Turtle Rescue team on Instagram?
1: Sure. Yeah. So on Instagram or Facebook, there are several different platforms that were active. I think our social media coordinator now has us active on TikTok as well.
0: Really? Which
1: is pretty amazing. Yeah. So if you want to see some TikToks, feel free to head over there. I don't really know what that entails because I'm not a TikToker, but I hear like you do these fun little dances and I don't know how turtles are doing that, but She's doing some fun stuff on TikTok. So if you look up North Carolina State Turtle Rescue Team on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok, you will likely find us Um, and you'll get to follow along with our adventures
0: and learn about the turtles we currently got in. That's awesome. And uh, please send me the link so I can include them in the show notes. Certainly, I will. Okay, so Christian, by the way, listeners, if you want to join us for the after show, all you have to do is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. Christian's in vet school, and I know a lot of you listen to this show. Uh, You guys are in vet school. I know, Christian, you're actually a listener of the show. You actually reached out, but because you listen to the Mm -hmm. show, a lot of people want to know what it's like. So in the after show, I'm going to ask Christian all about it. I want to get the nitty gritty. I want to get the real stuff. So anyway, head on over to the after show. Let's do it.